if you could begin making your way back to your seats, and as you do, grab your Bibles, that would be wonderful. Uh, and in them, head on over to 1 Corinthians. We are going to be continuing in chapter 3 here this morning. If you don't have a Bible, and maybe you don't have a digital version with you on your iPhone or iPad or whatever it might be, um, you can find a blue hardback version in one of the chairs there in front of you. Um, because what we just want to do here time and time again, week in and week out, is we want to hear from God. And, and to do that, we need to go to His Word, which we're... He has spoken to us, and so uh, we just want to be people of the book, and we want to understand what God has said, we want to understand how we can apply to our lives today, tomorrow, Tuesday, on through this coming week what God has said, and so to do that, we need to be in His Word, and so it's just really important that we have those resources there in front of us, and again, the digital means are are great, but you got hard copies as well. I'm a hard copy guy at heart, because I like to write and make notes and highlight and all those kind of things. Um, So we are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9 here this morning, And, and these verses just continue this sustained thought that the Apostle Paul has been making since the beginning of chapter 1. Chapter 1 gets structured in this way. He says hello, addresses who he's writing this letter to. He then has some things to tell them about who they are in Christ. And he, before he ever gets to things they need to work on, is very, very clear in articulating what God has already done in their lives. You are already completely enriched. You are not lacking any spiritual gift, and you will be sustained. There's a past, present, future foundation that gets laid before anything ever is said, hey, let's work on this. But then in chapter 1, we have that initial, hey, let's work on this moment. And the issue was the Corinthian church was dividing themselves based on what leaders they liked better, or who might have baptized them. And so in the beginning of verse 10 of chapter 1, Paul begins to make this argument that's going to work its way all the way through chapter 4 about how they shouldn't do that. About how it's destroying the unity that they have as a local body by saying, hey, Peter's my guy, no, Apollos is my guy, well, I was baptized by Paul. They found these ways to divide themselves, which Paul acknowledges are very, very human. They're natural When you think about it in the context of what the world around us looks like. It's just a very natural way to think. But he's saying, hey, I don't want you to be natural people. I want you to be spiritual people. I don't want you to think in human ways. I don't want you to think and look and have attitudes and actions like the world around you. I want you to think and look and have actions and attitudes like people who have the Spirit. And so in the tail end of chapter 2, he introduces this new language to the book. He talks about them being spiritual people, just literally translated, people that have the Spirit. Next week in chapter 3, we're going to see where he very directly makes that point to them to say, you are temples of the Spirit. And then that theme will get played itself out through the rest of the book as well. But the big idea is that he wants them to not act 
in human ways, in Corinthian ways. He wants them to act in Christian ways. He wants us to not act in American ways. He wants us to act in Christian ways. And there's an acknowledgement that it's, it's probably easier to act human or American or Corinthian than it is Christian. We see that even play itself out in our world today. And we thought through some of those things where if, if you're just worried about acting American or acting like the world around us, and that's your standard of measurement, there's, there's some things that are quite frankly a lot easier. But when you first and foremost aim to act as a person of the Spirit, to act as a Christian, now there's, there's a war that happens. Because I don't know about you, but my flesh is going to want to go one way, and God says, no, you need to go this way. And this big idea that we began looking at last week was that you need to act as you are, not in human ways, but in ways that are led by the Spirit. Now, the primary context and big idea in our set of verses here this morning is continuing that idea that he has started back in chapter 1 about how they need to not think about their leaders in Corinthian ways, in Greek ways. There's a primary context there, is you guys need to focus on what God has done, not what on these men are doing. But there's a secondary aspect, and we're actually going to spend a little bit more time this morning on the secondary aspect in the text. Because what Paul has to say about his work as a planter and Apollos' work as a waterer is not just helpful for us as we think about leaders and what leaders we were going to evaluate and how we evaluate them and what leaders we might esteem. But it's actually really helpful for us to get a, get a look into what God actually is doing when the actions of planting and watering take place. So Paul uses this metaphor for sharing the gospel. This morning, the, the primary idea in our text is the idea of sowing gospel seed. It's the idea of evangelism. It's the idea of what we've called Christ-centered witness. And that's the primary idea there in our text. Next week, the idea becomes a little bit more about discipleship. About what you do and how, what, what foundation you build with those who are saved already. And how are you discipling and how are you teaching and how are you training and what are you giving them. Well this morning it's, it's more about the interaction with those who are not. And there's some really, really important things. Really, really helpful things for us to consider. As we just let God's word kind of sit on us. And remind us that we're not missionaries if we go somewhere overseas. We're missionaries now. God has planted us now. And so here's what I want you to do. We're gonna, I'm going to give you this. We're going to pray and we're going to hop into the text. I want to challenge you this morning to think about two different people that you know that need the Lord. And two people that are somewhere in what I'm going to refer to as your mission field. Could be family members, they could be neighbors, they could be co-workers, they could be 
you know, the, per, the waitress at the restaurant that you happen to see all the time. I mean, it, it doesn't matter where you come up with the names, but I want to challenge you to identify the names of two people. And if, if you are not able to identify the names of two people, then I want to challenge you to think through what mission fields God has placed you in and identify those and work through some of that. And then we're going to try to see how this text can, can actually free us as we think through what it is that God's doing as his word is planted and watered. So that's the end. I already told you where we're going, so it's not going to be a surprise when we get there. But before we go any further, let's pray, and then we'll hop into the text, and we'll begin thinking through what the Apostle Paul has to say. God, thank you for the morning that we have to be together. God, we thank you for your word in God, we want to be people of your word. We want people, people who, who want to come and hear from you. God, I pray that we would not be people that want to come and hear from me, but from you. And so, God, I pray that you would help me to say what you have said and explain what you have said and not take away from it and not add to it, but to just be that herald who stands before the people and just says, thus saith the king. And so God, we pray that you would come and just speak loudly in our midst this morning. God, you tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that your Holy Spirit has been given to us that we might understand the things freely given to us by you. And so God, we pray that he this morning would take your word and would help us to interpret and understand and apply. And God, we understand as well from your word that all of this is for the glory and exaltation of Jesus. It is all because of what Jesus has done. And so God, we pray this in his good name. Amen. All right, well, let's go to our text and just read our verses here for this morning. That primary context I talked about kind of leaps off the page and is, is pretty, pretty easy to identify, but then we're going to apply it in, in a secondary sense to you and I. But Paul writes, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. All right, so let's just try to unpack and understand what Paul is saying here. These verses are not difficult verses for us to understand. There's the big idea of each of them along the way. In verse 5, the big idea is that God assigns roles to his workers. We're going to see that theme come back to the surface when we get to chapter 12 and he begins discussing in greater detail spiritual gifts. The exact same point is made there. 
God assigns different gifts to different people in the body as he desires. It's the same point here. Paul's saying, look, it's no different for Apollos and I. A God assigned us a role. In verse 6, the idea resounds clearly that regardless of the role a Paul or Apollos play, it's God who's causing the growth. And the, the nuance there is past tense. And then in verse 7, the nuance there is present tense. So God didn't just cause the growth in the past. He's currently causing the growth to still occur. Verse 8, what you and I as the planter and the waterer do does actually matter. And we will be rewarded for our hard work. But in verse 9, we're reminded one more time that the planter, the waterer, and the mission field all belong to God. So let's try to just unpack a little bit more of the details here, and then we'll begin applying it to just kind of how you and I can think through some of these things. As we just seek to understand this agricultural metaphor God uses for evangelism, for gospel ministry, for telling people about Jesus and the gospel. And that's what he's doing. He's telling us to think about evangelism, Christ-centered witness, as you would planting a garden. We're going to get to do that here in about a month and a half. Praise the Lord. I'm ready. So we got a picture in our own homes, in our own yards, or we will invariably in our town drive past somebody Who's planting something if you don't plant yourself? So this picture is one that we can very easily identify with, get our minds wrapped around. And so it's in verse 5, Paul says, what then is Apollos? It's a rhetorical question he's asking. The answer implied there is nobody. He's a nothing. What is Paul? He's a nothing. But they are kind of somethings. But here's where some of the details do help us matter and, and understand this. The answer given is servants through whom you believe. Now that word servants, some of your translations may say ministers. Some of them may say assistant. That could even be possible there. But the idea here is actually in just the, it's a Greek word that originally meant somebody who's waited a table. It gets, it gets nuanced in certain places as a busboy. This speaks of an attitude. Now, Paul's not all of a sudden changing his course to say he's not an apostle. He led off with that at the very beginning in verse 1 of this letter. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle. So he understands very clearly, he's going to go back there, come verse or chapter 15 as well. He understands very clearly that there is there's an office of apostle that God has called him to occupy. But here he's speaking of an attitude and he said, hey, when we think about my work in your midst, Apollos' work in your midst, we are first and foremost servants. We're busboys. We wait tables. Now, in the Greek culture, this would have been a completely undignified position. It's not just what you do when you turn 16 and are looking for a job and somebody to hire you. So you go to Applebee's and you clean off tables after people are done eating. All right? our, our culture doesn't have and look at this as the undignified type of service that the Greek culture would have. Greeks had a saying, this culture had a saying, we are born to rule, not serve. 
So anybody that served was looked down upon in profound ways. Now, it's in Mark 10, James and John, Jesus' buddies, two of his 12 apostles, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, we got this request for you, will you grant it for us? And Jesus says, well, what's your request? And they're like, I'd like to sit on your right hand, he'd like to sit on your left hand, and Jesus has this conversation with them. They're asking for positions of authority and power and influence and recognition. And Jesus, in Mark 10, 45, says, Well, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Those words serve there in Mark 10, 45 is the exact word Paul's using here to describe himself and Apollos. It's an attitude. And in correcting James and John and answering their request that they made for positions of recognition and power and authority and adulation, Jesus goes, well, wait a minute, you guys have this all backwards. And here's what Paul is saying. You guys have this all backwards when you're thinking about elevating me to a certain level and status and elevating Apollos to a certain level and status. You guys have this all backwards we're just servants and he says we're servants through whom you believed that word through actually means because of it's a preposition that means because of or um, as as a result of and this is important for us to recognize here because beginning in chapter one reiterated in chapter two And what will continue to be reiterated throughout the rest of this book is the very clear idea that God chooses. That language is in chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. God chose you because you were not wise in the eyes of the world. He chose you because you were foolish in the eyes of the world. God chose you because you weren't powerful. You were actually weak. God chose you because you weren't of noble birth. You actually didn't have genes that would give you adulation. Well, in chapter 2, it gets reiterated again about the decree of God. Some of your translations are going to actually have the word predestined there. Throughout chapter 2, Paul clearly says that it's the Holy Spirit that clicks on the lights to take those who believe that the gospel is foolishness to then the gospel is power. So there's this sustained argument that salvation is first and foremost and in a total sense an act of God and because of God alone. And yet he also acknowledges that it's through Paul and Apollos that they heard. Now I don't pretend to understand how all of that sinks together. And quite frankly... The Bible clearly from beginning to end teaches that God alone saves and it's his work and his work alone. And as I think about that reality, I think he could probably do a lot better than asking me to be one of his mouthpieces. He can kind of short circuit the weak link. And yet, for whatever reason, he's chosen to command you and I to go be his mouthpieces. So from beginning to end, in 1 Corinthians and throughout the entire Bible, this idea that God is sovereign over salvation rings clearly 
And yet there's a human element to that. The salvation of the Corinthians was an act of God. It was the Holy Spirit taking what they thought was foolish and making them understand it's actually true wisdom. But the means by which God chose to work in that was through Paul and Apollos just saying what God had told them to say. And the same is true for you and I. God could do a whole lot better than us. Quite frankly, it might even be a whole lot faster if he didn't use us. But he's commanded us, he's given us the privilege and the responsibility to obediently join him in this work. So there's some tension there. Not all the tensions all resolved even as you look at it. But from the human perspective, the Corinthians believed because Paul and Apollos obeyed and came and told them about Jesus. From God's perspective, the Corinthians believed because the Holy Spirit took what they thought was foolishness, clicked on the lights, unblinded their eyes, and let them see it's actually wisdom and power. And he says, we're just servants. We're busboys. We're the lowest of low as society considers status. And we're just here to tell you about Jesus. We're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. The Lord's assignment there is a, is a phrase and it's the idea of God assigning the roles of the planter and the waterer. But then come verse 6, we see the point that regardless of the role, it's actually God that causes the growth. So here we have this tension reiterated. Paul and Apollos are the servants that are speaking, that it's through them the Corinthians are hearing, but it's actually God that caused the growth to begin with. It gets reiterated immediately thereafter for us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So regardless of the role, God causes the growth. I was just thinking about this this past week. How silly would it be if, I don't know, come September, Carrie and I are out where we plan to plant some tomato plants. And we're having this argument back and forth with each other about which one of us was better. Because one of us put the seeds in the ground, but the other decided to water. I mean, can you imagine how silly that argument would go and even how it would go? Well, we have plants here because I put the seeds in the ground. Well, you might have put the seeds in the ground, but I watered them. Did you just see the silliness of that? And that's part of what Paul's wanting the Corinthian church and even us to understand. For them, it was silly for them to go, hey, you know, Paul is the better guy, or Apollos is the better guy, or Peter's the better guy. Paul's saying, look, no, look, regardless of role, you put your focus and attention on God, because he's the one that's causing the growth. That's where the praise goes. That's where the elevation goes. That's where the adulation goes. Forget about us busboys who are just doing what we were told to do as lowly servants. You put your focus and attention on God, don't worry about who plants, don't worry about who waters, celebrate their obedience, but praise God for his growth and the growth that he gave. So verse 6 has a past tense past or aspect to it, I planted, past tense, Apollos 
watered past tense. Verse 7 shifts that to a present aspect where you can see the words change there. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. They're even moving forward in the process. It's still God who gives growth that is the one to be praised. That's still actually where and how growth happens. It's of God through the faithfulness of obedient people, but of God. And here's two things that this does for us. It causes us to not claim credit. We don't get to stand up and say, how awesome are we that we water the tomato plants? How awesome are we that we shared our faith? We don't get to claim credit because it's God who causes the growth. The other aspect is we don't own the blame. If we're faithful and obedient to doing what God has called us to do, where he has called us to do it, to be those Christ-centered witnesses in the mission fields where he has planted us and we are planting and we are watering, but we're not seeing the growth that we might want us to see, we don't conclude that it's a deficiency on our part. Freeze us. Because it's God alone who causes the growth. So we don't claim the credit when it goes really well. But we don't own the blame when it may not happen as quickly as we desire. Because God's doing something. In verse 8, Paul continues, He who plants and he who waters are One, the idea there is that the action of planting and watering are united in their goal. They may be different roles. The role of planting gospel seed might be a little bit different than the role of watering gospel seed. But the whole point is for the seed to get planted, for the seed to grow, and for God to give growth and take the glory. And so there's a unity that happens and should happen with the planter and the waterer. Because it's God who gives the growth. But the planter and the water are going to be rewarded for their work. Now that word there that shows up as labor is actually a word that has um, a definition of hard work. Toilsome work. The idea there is that I think there's just a, a reality that this is not always easy work. Some of you may have family members, you may have co-workers, you may have neighbors that you've been praying for for years. You've been telling about Jesus for years and it's it's hard work. I mean, they might be the ones who, who are scoffing at you because they think you're a part of something that's foolish. So there's an acknowledgement here that this work is not easy work. This work is hard work. And you and I will be rewarded for our obedience by Jesus for that work. I've shared this with you before. Some of you will be familiar with this. Others of you may not be. Um, My grandmother got saved within the last week of her life back in 1997. She was probably under seven days away from dying. She had a terminal cancer-related illness, and hospice was there, and it was just pain management. 
at that point. And we're, we're looking at decades of sharing the gospel with her, praying for her, not just my dad, who was a pastor, not just my mom, who was his wife, but others that were family, friends, and knew them as well. My grandmother thought my dad was wasting his life by being a pastor. You talk about some of the scoffing. Thanksgiving dinner gets a little awkward. About a week before she died, a family friend came in, shared with her the gospel again, and she trusted in Christ. And I don't know why it took that long. I don't know why God chose that moment for the Holy Spirit to take what she had pretty passionately always said was foolishness to then understand was actually power. I don't understand the answers to those questions. But I know that's hard work. And God used that and he used the obedient faithfulness of prayer and people planter and the waterer have different roles, but they will be rewarded for their work. And that work might be really hard. In verse 9, Paul kind of reiterates what he said in verse 5, where the planter, the waterer, and the mission field all belong to God. The beginning of verse 9 might give you the impression that Paul is saying that he and Apollos... Are, are working alongside of God and with God. And there's, there's an element of truth there, but the, the words that Paul wrote have much more the idea of we belong to God as the mission field also belongs to God. And so the planter and the water belong to God. You and I belong to God. The mission field that God has placed us in belongs to God. But then Paul actually there at the end of verse 9 does this little shift with his metaphor and introduces architecture, not just agriculture. And that sets him up for where he goes next, which we'll unpack next week. But let's just step in through a little bit further and think about agriculture and different ways that these ideas and word pictures, metaphors, if you will, show up in the Gospels and in the teaching of Jesus. Because often what happens, and this is a way for us to just understand how the Bible works, what you have in the letters portion of the New Testament just gives theological language to a lot of the stories and parables and things that Jesus said and taught in the Gospels part of the New Testament. They're not saying different things. They say the same thing in different ways. And so Jesus had a few things to say about agriculture and how the kingdom of God is like that. And time's not going to allow us to go to each of those passages and to understand fully those. But I want to just encourage you, write them down and maybe you can spend some time this week looking them up. The first one in Mark 4, verses 1 to 20, is also one that shows up in Matthew 13. So that's why it's there in parenthesis. Uh, that's, just, that's the parable of the farmer who's sowing seed. 
So a farmer goes out to sow seed, and some of the seed falls on the path, some of the seed falls on the rocky ground, some of the seed falls on the thorns, some of the seed falls into good soil, and it yields a harvest of 30, 60, or 100-fold. Well, in not understanding the parable, the disciples get Jesus alone. They ask him, hey, can you help us unpack this? And Jesus says, well, the seed is the word of God. And the farmer's going out and he's sowing the word of God. He's planting God's word. As you see the echoes between this passage and 1 Corinthians 3. I've always been fascinated that the farmer doesn't necessarily seem to be terribly concerned about where the seed goes. And I know some of you are terribly concerned about where your seed goes when you put it in the ground in the coming spring months. There's a precision that you use there. And you might tie up little stakes and strings and have quadrants all identified and laid out. And that's well and good. That does not seem to be the idea here. The idea here is just kind of one of indiscriminate seed sowing. And I think this parable serves to help us unpack and answer the question, why doesn't all gospel seed take root? And Jesus gives an answer in his explanation to that question. And quite frankly, I've always thought that this parable is one that helps you and I ask hard questions about the soil of our hearts as well, not just the soil of the people that we might go share the gospel with. The path is where it just, you know, think concrete. There's no dirt around, so the seed's just going to get scooped up. The rocky ground, it's going to get in there, and it's going to have a little bit of growth, but then it's not going to have depth. There's not nourishment underneath it, and it's just going to wither out and die. The thorny soil is where, again, there seems to be some initial growth, but the thorns are, as we're told in the passage, the cares of the world choke it out. But then there's the good seed. So I think there's a couple things that we can see in this passage about this metaphor. One, the sowing of seed. The understanding of why the seed as it's sown has different results. Then perhaps also the hard question of, well, what's the soil of my own heart like? As I hear God's word, how is it finding reception in me the other second metaphor there is in mark 4 26 and here the idea is that the kingdom or just that the gospel i think we could very some simply summarize is like seed scattered by a farmer the farmer scatters the seed he goes to bed at some point a couple weeks later There's a sprout. A couple months after that, he's able to harvest the corn. And the idea here is that the farmer doesn't know how that all happened. It's again almost a direct echo of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gives the growth. Here the farmer is scattering seeds, but those seeds grow all by themselves. That word that Mark records as by itself, it's actually one word in Greek. It's where we get our English word automatically from. The seed grows automatically. So from the farmer's perspective, he puts the seed in the ground. 
And from his vantage point, the seed just pops up and has growth. Now, we know because of modern biology and botany and all of those things, there's a lot of, hap- there's a lot of things happening down there. That shell's getting broken free, water and nutrients are going, there's nutrients from the soil getting in, photosynthesis is doing its thing. Like, there's a lot taking place. But just from the perspective of the farmer, he puts the seed in the ground, goes to bed, wakes back up and goes, yeah, we got a sprout. Happened all by itself. And Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of God is like that. It echoes the I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. The last metaphor that we see, agriculturally speaking, comes again from Matthew 13. And it shifts the idea of what the seed is very slightly but very profoundly. And the idea here is that the seed now in Matthew 13 is not the word of God. It's the people of God. And so in the beginning parable in Matthew 13, the seed is the word of God. In this parable that shows up at the end of Matthew 13, the seed is the people of God, or the sons of the kingdom. I remember sitting with Roy Angle in Ireland, and he he walked us through these truths, and this one in particular. And he said, look, we've got to understand that, that God just doesn't call us to go plant gospel seeds. He plants gospel people. That's powerful. And that language is what we've tried to echo. We actually had it developed before we went to Ireland, but it just, it just was a, a great reminder of what we've tried to give some definition to and with in these Christ-centered witness ideas. We've tried to define Christ-centered witnesses that all believers have been placed in a mission field. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, he has planted you somewhere. He has put you in a job for a specific reason. He has put you in a neighborhood for a specific reason. He has put you with neighbors for a specific reason. He puts people in your path for specific reasons. And he has planted you. You are seed. But he's also called us to plant seeds. So there's where the metaphor just shifts ever so slightly. We are seed that are planted. But then we're called to plant seed, which is the word of God. And so we've been placed in a mission field by Jesus to love, serve, and share with others the good news of the gospel. So there you have both aspects of Matthew 13 being expressed there. And then we just tried to be really clear about all of this. While God may call you one day to go to Africa, he has called you today to be salt and light for him where you already are. Missions is not what happens when you board a boat or a plane and go somewhere that people speak a different language. It's what happens today when you walk out of these doors. It's what happens today when you go to the restaurant. What happens today when you run to the store. It's what happens tomorrow when you go and clock in at work. It's what happens when maybe this past week you helped a neighbor shovel the six inches of snow before the rain just came and washed it all away the day later. 
missions is that? Are there missionaries that go abroad? Absolutely. And we love them and we support them and we just spent time with them. They didn't, and Urban Hope's not across the pond, but it's in a very different place culturally than Waynesboro. There's no question about that. They're missionaries, but they're not missionaries in any different sense than you and I are missionaries. We've been planted and we've been called to plant. And so I just want to try to unpack then just briefly kind of how the, the aspects and the, these big ideas of 1 Corinthians 3 have and find their application then for you and I. So God assigns roles, verse 5, and I just, I just touched on that. God has planted you. And he has given you a role to be a planter, to be a waterer. Now, quite frankly, I don't think we should be too concerned about trying to figure out, am I a planter or am I a waterer? I have found personally that it really just all depends on who I'm talking to, what role I occupy. That person's never heard the gospel before, I'm a planter. If they have and I'm having a follow-up conversation with them, I'm a waterer in that sense and in that moment. So on Tuesdays, when we go to the school, we interact with the school kids, we are planting. And one of our biggest ways that we're just trying to plan is just to ask these kids, are you involved in Bible adventure? Because if you did that, you wouldn't just be out of class from 11.30 to 12.30. You'd be out of class from like 11.30 to 3.00. It's not a bad deal, because it all happens on Tuesday afternoons. But we're planters. At some point, that might shift, and we might have a role of watering there. But let's not try to be too overly specific and precise with, you know, are you planting with your next-door neighbor? Are you watering? You know, you might occupy the different roles depending on the conversations that you have and the people that you interact with. But God's assigning those roles and regardless of the role it's God that causes the growth so again we don't get to claim credit when it happens we also don't own the blame if it doesn't or if it takes longer than we want God alone's the one who's responsible for the growth you and I are responsible to obediently plant and water it's God alone responsible for the growth The planter and water will be rewarded for their hard work. God's going to reward you for what you do and how you live on mission and how you see your neighborhood and your neighbors, not as projects, but as people. And as people who might be on their way to hell. And as people who need Jesus. And I would just encourage you as you think about planting and watering, as you, as you think about the names of the people that you might have in mind, that you not think of them as projects, but as people. It's a really, really important distinction. It's not just a convert to win. It's somebody to make as a disciple. God will reward that. The planter, the waterer, you, I, the mission field, it all belongs to God. It's His. He's called us to be faithful, to be obedient. And He's placed us in a mission field to plant and water. 
That's what he's called us to do. And so I told you there at the beginning, I wanted you thinking about where God has planted you. He probably has planted you in many different places. But then I asked you to think about two names of people that might come to mind that are people that you can begin praying for and people that you can begin sharing with. Easter's not that far away. It's a pretty natural opportunity to ask and invite people to come and be a part of what might happen here on a Sunday morning. Could be a natural way as you think ahead. But those conversations you have at the neighbors and with the co-workers, and those are planting and watering opportunities. We've been called to faithfully, obediently follow the Lord. And that includes how we witness for him as his mouthpieces. And so the band's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a closing song here this morning. And what I've done here with this palette, I just didn't take it off the wall for just illustration's sake. On the back of it, took the largest Sharpie marker I have, quite frankly, ever seen in my life. And I wrote some years here, kind of divided it up into four quadrants. And wrote the names of my people. And as the band leads us, or if you're not comfortable doing so after they're done, I've got Sharpie markers up here. And I would just encourage you to come up and write the names, first name, of your people. And then after we're done today, it's going to go back up there. And we're not going to see the names, but we're going to know they're there. And that might serve as a reminder for us to be praying for these people as we think about what it means to be a Christ-centered witness. And it might give us even a way to celebrate God causing the growth. I mean, just think about the picture that it would be three months, three years, 30 years from now. I'm not sure the palette will last 30 years, but nonetheless, think about what it would be to say, Hey, you know what? Your first name's behind there. Because back in 2019, we started praying for you, and you're here. We see God answering prayer because God causes growth. So, Sharpies will be here. I'm going to stick it up there so you don't need to worry about this step. But as they sing, you are more than free to walk up and write down your names. Certainly welcome to do so thereafter as well. But would you stand as they lead us?